Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for surprises and for laughter and for the unexpected, God, because it shows that you are here and you want joy and comfort in our lives, God. We just thank you for um, moments such as those <laughs> and thank you for your care in them. God, I pray right now for this lesson. God, I pray that it would be your words that are spoken, your words that are conveyed, and your words that are remembered. God, I pray that they would come from your word. God, I pray as we learn about peacemaking today that you would give all of us a heart not to seek out sin, not a heart of confrontation, God, but a heart for caring for our sisters in Christ, for a desire for our own hearts to be cared for as we shepherd them through your word, God. We are in so need of you, and we are so in need of help. That's why we're here. That's why we're in Wellspring. That's why we're in a church. That's why you've brought us together, God. And I pray that um, that message will be what's settled on our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray all these things in your name. Well, again, thank you for having me. It's a blessing to be here. It was a blessing to study this lesson, and I hope that it is a blessing to you as well. So the lesson today is on peacemaking. You might, might be asking yourself, why is it important for believers to understand the principles of peacemaking? Why are we looking at peacemaking as part of our Wellspring curriculum? There are a number of good reasons to study peacemaking, and more importantly, to practice peacemaking. The first reason for understanding peacemaking begins with what we know about our hearts. What do we know about our hearts, ladies in Wellspring? Well, we've been learning about it all year. We know that our hearts tend towards sinfulness, even after salvation. We also know that by God's grace, we are able to obey God. Another reason to understand peacemaking is that when we understand that sin is everywhere, starting in our hearts, that it's easy to see that conflict, even between believers, can arise. That's not just a danger in and of itself. But we must understand that sin and conflict can begin to deteriorate relationships. And deteriorating relationships can damage the church and its witness here on earth. Therefore, peacemaking, actively addressing sin in both of our hearts and in relationships, is crucial. There is one more great reason why it is important to understand peacemaking. Christian, we have the perfect example of peacemaking, Christ himself. When we are tempted to overlook sin in our lives or within the church, or let conflicts affect relationship, let us remember that in Christ's perfect innocence and in our utter guilt, he stepped outside of his comfort and his rights, as it says in Philippians 2, to bring us into right relationship with God. As I looked and studied through this lesson, there were a number of challenges I faced through, as I studied God's word on the topic of peacemaking. One challenge was the sheer volume of information about peacemaking. There's an intimidating amount of source material on the topic. But more than that, what can be intimidating about this lesson is that every peacemaking situation is so different. There are a hundred different stories, events, and surprises that can arise with each event of conflict. How could you possibly address every potential scenario? Quite simply, you can't. <laughs> more than that, I began to understand that this was not just a lesson on peacemaking, but it's a wellspring lesson on peacemaking. I needed to not get bogged down with potential, unpredictable details Rather, I needed to focus on the constant throughout each peacemaking situation. And that is, surprise, our hearts. <laughs> it's not really surprising that we are looking at peacemaking from the vantage point of our hearts, is it? Much of life here at GVC is focused on addressing the church body at a heart level. The ministry of Wellspring is a reflection of that. A large part of what we've learned in Wellspring has focused on knowing what God's word tells us about our hearts and how to shepherd our hearts in the likeness of his son. But it is not just Grace Bible Church body life or any church structure that challenges us to look at peacemaking or every aspect of the Christian life from the starting point of our hearts. Peacemaking, while a biblical principle, is addressed in a relatively small number of verses in the Bible. However, our hearts, from fighting sin and its source, to walking alongside a brother and striving together towards holiness are addressed all throughout God's word. Proverbs 4.23 states, I think you might have heard it, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. This is no less true in peacemaking than it is in any other area of the Christian life. As we go through this lesson, we will begin to see parallels between peacemaking and, like I said, all areas of the Christian life. 
We start, as always, at the heart level. We aim for the same things as well. For today's lesson, we're going to call that path from the heart that is ultimately aiming at God being glorified. We're going to call that the path of peacemaking. So what is the path of peacemaking? I'm going to go ahead and read what I believe it's on your... Oh, it is not. I'm going to go ahead and read the definition. I'll read it twice so you guys have a chance to write it down. Peacemaking, like all aspects of the Christian life, begins with our hearts, aims for God's glory being displayed through saved and sanctified lives, growing and strengthening his church. If sin and conflict threaten to take us off that aim, we must purposefully walk the path of peacemaking, taking the steps of repentance, reconciliation, and forgiveness. And again, I apologize. I thought that was here. It's on the second page. Sorry. I'll read it again, though, just in case. Peacemaking, like all aspects of the Christian life, begins with our hearts, aims for God's glory being displayed through saved and sanctified lives, growing and strengthening his church, And if sin and conflict threaten to take us off that aim, we must purposefully walk the path of peacemaking, taking the steps of repentance, reconciliation, and forgiveness. So for the rest of this lesson, I'm going to explain in detail the the steps along the path of peacemaking, and then we'll look at a few basic examples of how we can apply that in everyday life. So let's begin. And where do we start? (laughs) Always, we start with our hearts. I believe you'll find that on the second page. Where do we go to find an accurate view of our hearts? Do we look to the world? Do we look to Pinterest that tells us to follow your heart? Seek your, follow your heart, it knows the the way. Goodness, no, I hope not. (laughs) Where do we find an accurate view of our hearts? We look to God's word for an accurate view of our hearts. This is all going to be Wellspring Review. Let's go through it together. (laughs) What do we know about our hearts? We know that our heart is our inner self. It is not the organ pumping blood through our veins. It is you. It's your inward self. It's the source of your motives and your desires. The heart level is where we are evaluated, both by God and as we evaluate ourselves in contrast to the word of God. Something else we know about our hearts is that our hearts before regeneration were nothing but evil. Genesis 6-5, this is before the flood, says... The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was before the flood and then what happens after the flood. In Genesis 8.21 it says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the aroma of Noah's sacrifice, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So God's great judgment was a result of knowing the true nature of man's heart. And yet upon mankind receiving that punishment, our hearts were still evil and in need of a savior. And if we're looking at our, <laughs> the state of our natural hearts, then we have to go to Jeremiah 17.9 as well. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Without Christ, our hearts are desperately wicked, deceitful, and unknowable. So we know those truths about our heart. We know their natural state is nothing but wicked. But we also know that for the believer, our hearts are still prone to sin. Praise God he brought us out of this desperate condition. But even with new hearts, we believers are still prone to sin. Hebrews 12.1 tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Ephesians 4, 30 and 31 also tell us, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Believers, we must continually fight against the sin that still lingers in this mixed condition. So we've reminded ourselves that our hearts are wicked, and even upon salvation, our hearts are still prone to sin. But what else do we know about our hearts? We know that with Christ's help, we are able to obey God. Praise God that by his spirit, we are able to fight sin and grow in holiness. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
And Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It is quite an amazing change from our wicked, unknowable, unsaved hearts, isn't it? So all of these heart principles that we've reviewed, that our true selves are found in the heart, that the believer is still prone to sin, yet by his spirit we are able to obey God, all of these heart principles are true for every believer, aren't they? They're true for you and me, they're true for your believing family members, and they're true for any believer here at Grace Bible Church. We know all these truths about our heart, and we understand better the battle we must wage against sin, and the fact that all these principles are true for every believer, it's easy to see how issues of conflict can arise, even between believers. So what does that mean? It means we must be shepherding our hearts with God's word. We must shepherd our hearts to help avoid sin and conflict. Sin is so prevalent. We must shepherd our hearts in the midst of conflict to address it in a gracious and biblical manner. Ladies, we must be honest about the state of our hearts at any given moment. If you know that your hearts are sinful, remember that your heart is sinful. And therefore, we must care for our hearts and the hearts around us. So, we've been reminded yet again of the truths that we've been told many times about our hearts. We've been reminded of truths we know about our hearts. And I've just reminded you of truths that we can easily forget about our hearts. We've also been reminded that we must be shepherding our hearts with God's word, and we must be striving to know God and know what God says about us. So we started by learning at our hearts, that's the beginning, and now we must remember our aim, aiming for God's glory on display through saved and sanctified lives, growing and strengthening his church. And when that aim from the heart outward is affected by sin, what must we walk? We must walk the path of peacemaking. So let's look at those steps now. Path of peacemaking is found on page two of your outline. And that's where the paragraph is. And the first step along that path is repentance. What is true repentance? I think that's something, the, the word repentance is something we can hear a lot. And there's a good chance that we might not know exactly what it means. So let's look a little more carefully at that. What is true repentance? In his book, The Doctrine of Repentance, you might remember it as a book of the month at the um, book table earlier this year. Thomas Watson defines repentance as agreeing with God about your own sin. We find out truths about ourselves and our sin from God's word. As we seek God's word and shepherd our hearts, true repentance will be marked with seeing our sin, sorrow for sin, and confession of sin. So we start with seeing our sin as a mark of true repentance. Some days it can feel very easy <laughs> to see our own sin. But even our worst days can be a superficial view of our true nature. For a true sight of sin, we need to look to God's word. Christian, remember that we need the gospel every day of our lives, lives as a Christian, not just upon the moment of salvation, right? By God's grace and his spirit, our first act as a Christian was seeing the true nature of ourself and our sinfulness when someone was kind enough to shine light in our hearts with God's word. This awareness and this desire to repent of our sin, like every aspect of the gospel, should carry with us throughout the rest of our life. Seeing our sin, seeing our true selves, is not something to bypass or overlook. It's God's grace when we like the prodigal son in Luke 15, come to ourselves and see ourselves as sinners. Upon sight of our sin, as is found truthfully in God's word, we will hopefully, next mark of true repentance would be sorrow for sin. Psalm 38, 18 says it so succinctly, I confess my iniquity, I am sorry for my sin. Do you feel sorrow upon the sight, upon the realization of your sin? Remember, ladies, it is for each sin, this sin, every sin, even if you're a believer, even if that sin is, if that sin is forgiven, it's for that, every sin that Christ had to die. We must recognize that our sin is against God first, and we must express sorrow to God for that sin. It's by a sinful heart like mine that marriages are torn down, children are alienated, friendships are abandoned, and churches are destroyed. How can we not be sorrowful over our sin? 
We must, upon sight of our sin, look it square in the face and tremble. A flippant attitude towards sin is much more frightening than taking the time to feel sin's true weight. Now with that, with understanding a sorrow for our sin, I'd like to make a little note about the phrase, I'm sorry. (laughs) You notice the word sorrow and sorry have the same root word. Expressing sorrow for sin is crucial, and expressing sorrow towards those we have hurt with our sin is important to God first, and then others next. However, our English language and our society have sort of cheapened the phrase, I'm sorry, into a catch-all beginning, middle, and end of reconciliation. Use the, use the term I'm sorry for true offense in the same way that we say I'm sorry when we bump into someone at the grocery store. That's dangerous. Don't fall into this trap. We'll address this a bit more in the next section, but we need to start seeing our sorrow for sin and its expression as a part, not the whole, of seeking forgiveness. So upon sight of our sin in light of God's word, sorrow for sin before an almighty holy God, the next mark of true repentance will be confession of sin. Once we've seen our sin through God's word, by his grace and his spirit, and we've expressed sorrow over its seriousness, we move toward confessing that sin. What is true confession? Confession is an outward admitting of our inner sinfulness. Thomas Watson, again, calls it self-accusing. Ken Sandy, in his book, Peacemaking, has put together a list he calls the seven A's of confession. This list is an excellent tool to help us move from an inward realization of our sin, sight for sin and sorrow for our sin, towards an outward repairing of the effects of our sin. In other words, as always, we're moving from the heart outward. So let's look at the seven A's of confession. The first one we're going to look at is addressing everyone involved. Remember, our sin is against God first and always. And our sin is against others second and often. We must confess and be reconciled to God first and always. And we must prepare to confess and be reconciled to others next and often. I think this principle is helpful to remember when we're, we've committed a heart sin. For example, if we feel pangs of jealousy or covetousness toward a friend, that is sin. It would need to be confessed to God. However, if we refrain from any comments or attitude towards our friend, our confession, like the sin, can be addressed at the heart level in prayer, just between us and the Lord. In fact, it could be harmful to the relationship to make them aware of a heart sin you've committed against them unnecessarily. Just to reiterate, our sins begin in the heart and are always against God. But sins move very quickly outward and toward others. Therefore, our first step should always be confessing our sin to God. We can then move outward and address everyone affected by our outpouring of sin. So in the seven days of confession, the first one was addressing everyone involved. Next, we're going to look at avoiding excuses. Avoiding excuses, no ifs, buts, or maybes. (laughs) What do I mean by ifs, buts, and maybes? I mean, we must avoid qualifying our sin. I'm sorry I spoken anger to you, but you were being very impatient with me. How many of you have ever said anything like that? (laughs) That is qualifying our sin. Our sin is our own. No one can make you act any sinful way. Our sin comes from our hearts, as it says in James 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? They do. (laughs) Avoid excuses. Oh, I'm sorry. They do. So avoid excuses and confess your own sin and seek forgiveness. Next, our third A is to admit specifically. We must use biblical language and be specific. This is so important. Christ did not die for women who woke up on the wrong side of the bed or are having a moment with the four-year-old. Christ died for impatient, angry, prideful people. When we use God's language for sin as found in his word, we run from excuses and toward an actual solution, God's forgiveness. So continuing on the seven A's of confession, we have addressed everyone involved. We're striving to avoid excuses and admit specifically with biblical language. The fourth A is to acknowledge hurt and express sorrow over our sin. 
We've talked a bit about this already. We should feel sorrow for the sin that killed our Lord and damages relationship. But this is a step in the process, not the entire process. When it comes right down to it, saying I'm sorry can be an expression of true sorrow, that come, if that sorrow comes from the heart, but ultimately it is expressing a feeling. A feeling, however genuine, is not the same as confessing sin, nor is it the same as seeking forgiveness. Okay? Our next A is to accept the consequences of our sin. From going and having a difficult repentance conversation all the way up to restitution for property damage, our sin has consequences. We need to face them and do all we can to make the situation right. Continuing on to number six, we'll alter our behavior. This is a crucial part of true repentance. A changed life is evidence of a changed heart. If we are repenting from the heart outward, our lives will change as a result. And it creates such an easy path to forgiveness and reconciliation when we, or anyone, truly change as a result of conflict and confession. The final A in the A's of um, confession is ask for forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? <laughs> I'll say it again. Will you please forgive me? How often do you say these words? It's hard. It's unusual. It can feel strange. But asking for forgiveness gives the one you sinned against a chance to make a decision and respond. Asking for forgiveness shows that they can provide something that you can't have on your own. Asking for forgiveness is more than just stating a feeling. Sorry. Asking for forgiveness is a crucial step toward true reconciliation, much more than just saying, I'm sorry. So these steps of true repentance, from seeing our sin in the light of God's word, sorrow over our sin through confessing our sin and asking forgiveness, are not widely used or understood in today's world, are they? We need to honor God as we seek to biblically confess and seek forgiveness for our sins. So, that's our first step along the path of repentance. Now let's remember where we are placed on this path. We have addressed our hearts. We continue to focus on our own hearts throughout the process. We continue to aim towards God's glory, saved and sanctified lives, and growing and strengthening God's church. And remember, when sin and conflict that threaten to throw us off that aim, we continue to walk the path of peacemaking. We've looked at true repentance, and now we are on to reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It is the act of two believers coming together with the purpose of repentance and forgiveness. When we are walking in and remembering the gospel, who would not freely confess their sins and strive toward right relationship with God and other believers? Who when they are walking in and remembering the gospel, could hold a sin against another believer. We should be running towards one another, prepared to confess and to forgive. Reconciliation is more than just an act. It is a beautiful God-given instruction to be carried out between believers. It is a beautiful continuation of our relationship with Christ, and it is a beautiful picture of the gospel. So, short and sweet, <laughs> let's continue on the path. Remembering, again, that we are tending to our own hearts. We have also looked at what true repentance needs to look like. And this is crucial when we've sinned and we are the offending sinner. We hope to have two believers come together with the purpose of repentance and forgiveness. And that's where this next section comes in. We will be sinned against many times in our life. And if someone has sinned and they come to you with a repentant heart and a goal of reconciliation, we need to have a heart ready to forgive. So now let's look at forgiveness. I'm going to read from Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. So also will my heavenly father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. So in the parable of the unforgiving servant, there are many shocking things in this story that should be shocking to us. The first is the debt that he owed. It was truly shocking amount. The wording in this passage makes it clear that it was not just a lot of money. The words that Jesus used were clearly conveying that this was almost an incomprehensible amount of money. It was beyond understanding. I think the equivalent amount of money today would be like a bajillion dollars. (laughs) When the servant cried out, have patience with me and I will pay you everything, the only response the king could have was, you can't. And so when the king realized his debt was unpayable, he, another shocking moment in the story, forgave him of that debt. Now let's look for a minute at the debt that was owed him. It was a real amount of money. It was substantial. It was not immeasurable, though. It was not incomprehensible by any means. And what's shocking at this point in the story is when we look at the debt owed him, we see that the servant turned around after being forgiven in ways that Clearly, he couldn't understand, and he did not forgive a fellow servant of a much smaller debt. The king's forgiveness did not lead him to extend forgiveness. The king's mercy did not lead him to extend mercy, and that is truly shocking. Jesus tells this story and clearly connects the dots between the people in the parable and believers today. It would be very shocking if we were to see evidence of this unforgiveness in believers' lives today, either in our own lives or the lives of others, as the fellow servants did. Remember, we as Christians are the most forgiven people. Our debt was truly unpayable, beyond understanding. Therefore, as the most forgiven people, we should be the most forgiving people. A lack of mercy and unforgiveness is not just a choice to hold on to a grudge or forgetting about Christ's forgiveness. It is evidence of a lack of understanding toward our debt, and what we have been forgiven of and saved from. Just as the king's forgiveness should have led the servant to forgiveness, the king's, Christ's forgiveness should lead us to forgiveness. And just as the king's mercy should have led the servant to mercy, Christ's mercy should lead us to mercy. And the king's anger towards the servant's unforgiveness reminds us of the seriousness of sin and shows us more clearly God's feeling toward all sin, and in this case, a believer's unforgiveness. Christian, you have been forgiven. You must forgive. So now that we understand a little more about how important it is to be forgiving to fellow believers when we've been sinned against, let's look at what shepherding our hearts in and toward forgiveness should look like. There are times when forgiveness doesn't come easy, but seeing but something that is helpful is to see forgiveness as a decision, as ongoing, and as a commandment. First of all, forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness is based in obedience. We must purpose to forgive in obedience to Christ. This decision is not based on feelings. We can't depend on our emotions to lead us in difficult times, can we? If we have set our heart on forgiveness, we must shepherd our hearts and our minds away from our emotions and towards shepherding our minds in obedience. We might feel like rehashing hurts or licking our wounds. We might feel like withdrawing or avoiding someone with whom we are in a conflict. But 
We must depend on God's directives from his word before we ever depend on feelings. Forgiveness is not just a decision. Forgiveness is ongoing. When I say forgiveness is ongoing, does that mean I can forgive a little now and forgive a little later and forgive all eventually? No. (laughs) Forgiveness should be from the heart once and for all. That is not what forgiveness is ongoing means. But we are fooling ourselves to think that our sinful hearts couldn't allow old feelings and hurts to creep back in. If we are in obedience and we're shepherding our hearts to forgive in our words, in our thoughts, and in our actions, then we must continue to shepherd our hearts towards forgiveness in words, in thoughts, and in action. If we have verbally forgiven someone who has confessed and sought our forgiveness, we need to shepherd our hearts in continued forgiveness, heading into difficult situations that might tempt us to gossip or be upset or even being tempted to dwell on a situation in the privacy of our own home, those are times we might need to prepare our hearts and purposefully shepherd our hearts in continued obedience and forgiveness. Ask God to help your mind not dwell on the incident. Pray for help to not gossip about this with anyone, or to never bring it up again to the repentant friend. Prayerfully strive to restore the relationship with that person, to its original state in keeping with reconciliation. And with all that in mind, just a note, there is a big difference between gossiping about a situation, talking unnecessarily to people about what happened, big difference between that and alerting the necessary and proper people of their need to be involved, such as church leadership, especially elders, even legal authorities in very exceptional cases. There's a big difference between pettily ceasing a relationship with someone over an argument and changing a relationship with someone in the face of a grievous sin. Wisely seek counsel and make every effort to protect the people involved if there is any question as to which type of conflict you are involved in. So, continuing on the path as we learn about forgiveness, we remember that forgiveness is a decision, forgiveness is ongoing, and forgiveness is commanded. Ephesians 4.32 tells us, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. And Colossians 3.13b says all, again, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Are you doing this? Are you remembering your great debt your unpayable debt, your incomprehensible debt, like the unforgiving servant failed to do? (laughs) Are you remembering how much you've been forgiven? Do you remember how freely you were forgiven? Are you forgiving as Christ forgives? Let's look at it from another angle. What if Christ forgave as we humans are tempted to sometimes forgive? Forgive. (laughs) If Christ forgave as you are forgiving, would God still be stirred with emotion upon remembering your sin even years later? Would God draw away over time from a relationship with you? Would God desire to forgive you, but figure a relationship with you just was never going to be possible? That's a frightening idea, isn't it? We must strive to forgive as Christ forgives, once and for all, (laughs) with our whole heart. And remember, as I said, we are commanded to forgive. Therefore, holding on to unforgiveness is a sin. Let's look at Ephesians 4.32 again. Be kind, be tender-hearted, be forgiving. Would we or should we ever justify unkindness? Would you be okay with being known as a hard-hearted person? And yet, <laughs> next in line, an unforgiving attitude is sadly common. Simply put, unforgiveness is justifying your sin with their sin. They were unkind to me. Therefore, I can be unforgiving towards them. Let's again strive to forgive as Christ forgave. Another disclaimer saying all that, understanding what forgiveness looks like, understanding that it's a decision, that it's ongoing, and it's a commandment. I understand that for some people, hearing this can be difficult. Sin is everywhere, sin is serious, and the effects of sin are painful. Please don't think that I'm standing up here, that anybody would, with the attitude of, forgive, it's commanded, end of story. 
<laughs> yet, we are. That's not the attitude I want to convey. And yet, at the same time, we are commanded to forgive. And we have the perfect example of what that can look like in the face of great sin. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23 says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Again, just to convey my attitude in this, I want to say that I understand what it's like to hurt, and that it can be difficult to forgive. But if you are having trouble forgiving as commanded, please seek help. Seek out a Titus II woman in your life, someone in your small group, or here at Wellspring. We want to walk together in obedience and forgiveness. So, after addressing our hearts, walking the path of peacemaking, um, repentance, reconciliation, and forgiveness, we have walked well towards our aim, God's glory on display, saved and sanctified lives, building and strengthening his church. We can see how unaddressed sin and conflict do not glorify God. We can see how conflict and deteriorating relationships are not sanctifying for the believer and in no way grow or strengthen God's church. We can start with our hearts and aim toward these God-glorifying goals. Walk in repentance. Aim for reconciliation and forgiveness on the path towards these goals. As we've been calling them today, the path of peacemaking. Well, but looked at a lot of <laughs> big picture examples of what these, this might look like. And there are many ways that the path of peacemaking can play itself out in real life. You might be wondering about that now. How do we apply these truths? As mentioned earlier, there are hundreds of ways that sin and conflict can distract us from heart shepherding and hinder us from glorifying God in right relationship with one another. And then you ask the other person in the conflict, and now you've got 200 ways that sin and conflict can distract us from these goals. We couldn't possibly, in one hour lesson, address all the different ways that we could walk with one another in forgiveness and repentance. But we're going to try <laughs> to address a few of the ways. For the rest of the lesson, I'm going to talk about four main scenarios we can come across when sin and conflict threaten to upset God's church. The first one would be if you are the offending sinner and you know you must seek forgiveness. The next one would be if you are the offending sinner and someone comes and talks to you about your sin. Third, if someone else is the offending sinner and they come to you seeking forgiveness, how would that look? And finally, someone else is the offending sinner and you decide you might need to go talk to them. These scenarios, these examples, and the practice of walking the path of peacemaking, just to be clear, are not a formula. Just like we couldn't possibly address every different potential conflict, we can't expect these biblical principles to be just a checklist that we finish and then step away from. In fact, in a lot of ways, these step-by-step -step instructions are admittedly an oversimplification. Because to address every single one would be, as we've discussed, nearly impossible. We know that sin and sinful hearts make things complicated. And two believers obeying God's perfect plan for their lives would make things simple. <laughs> but we know that things, it can't always be this way, can it? So these processes are here to remind us to actively pursue from the heart outward peace among our fellow believers. So let's look at the first real-life application. You are the offending sinner, in this case. You've realized you've sinned and you must seek forgiveness. I'm going to look at Matthew 5, 23 and 24. These verses are taken from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus was, Jesus was addressing the fact that sins come from the heart, and outward appearance, appearances are not where we are evaluated. I'll read the verses now. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So let's look at how the path of peacemaking played out from this example in Matthew 5. 
Let's start with the man's heart. His heart seemed to be prepared for worship. His heart seemed to be in the right place if we were evaluating from the outside looking in. We can see that this was also a man who was searching and knowing his own heart. Let's look at what he was aiming towards. This believer, again, seemed to be aiming towards God's glory through a sanctified life, growing and building God's church. He was there ready to offer sacrifice. However, upon searching his heart, he realized his aim was off because he was in a conflict. He recognized that you can't skip ahead on the path to peacemaking. If your aim is off, you're going to miss your mark. This passage makes it clear that reconciled relationships can take priority over worship. Does that mean we stay away from church? Does that mean we stay away from time in our word? No, it means we deal with conflict. (laughs) So what did he do when he realized that? He walked the path. He remembered a conflict between him and another brother, and he went to be reconciled. Very short, very sweet, very simple. So we've seen what that looks like from the story in Matthew 5, and now what does that mean for us as the offending sinner who realizes they've sinned? We start, as always, with the heart. We must search our hearts. We must be searching our hearts with God's word. And when you recognize that you are in a conflict, go. If you know what caused the conflict, your sin, (laughs) go and be prepared to confess to God first, the offended sinner second, and once you have confessed to God, then you go. Walk the path. Start with repentance. When you have sinned, admit your guilt and seek God's forgiveness. This must be done first. Don't skip over your sin against God or your relationship with God in order to focus on sin in relationship with another person. When you have sinned, admit your guilt, and then, after reconciling with God, seek their forgiveness. Again, work from the heart out. Remember our seven A's of confession. It's a great tool to look at. Start by confessing. We end with asking for forgiveness. The next step on the path is reconciliation. Be reconciled to your brother. It's a beautiful thing in the body of Christ. And then the next step along the path is forgiveness. Ask, will you forgive me of this sin that you have just confessed to God first and then to them? And hopefully, forgiveness will be given freely by your offended sister in Christ. Again, we always are checking our aim. Once we are reconciled, we are free to glorify God in worship as we grow together in the likeness of his son. So that is just one way we can walk the path of peacemaking in a simple example of realizing our own sin. So let's continue on this idea. Again, we are still focusing on you yourself, the offending sinner, and someone comes and tells you that you've sinned. (laughs) This is never easy for anyone. Not for you, the offender, nor is it easy for the person who felt the need to come and talk to you about your sin. Proceed with caution. (laughs) Proceed with prayer. Ladies, a good time to start preparing your hearts for a situation such as this would be now, (laughs) not when you're faced with it. So where are we going to start? Again, you guessed it, we're starting with our hearts. When someone comes and talks to us about our sin, it's really kind of a rubber meets the road situation. We've been talking about our hearts all year. Do you believe that your heart is sinful? Do you believe that you are prone to sin? How might that play out in real life, in your life? It's easy to know things about our hearts, but it's still hard for us to know our own hearts. It's even harder for us to hear about our own hearts. You know your heart's sinful tendencies, and it seems this time that sin has spilled over and is affecting a relationship with a loved one. So what must we do? We must walk that path. This time we're going to start, a little out of order, with we're going to address reconciliation. Remember, they are here talking to you. It was not easy for them. They are showing care for your heart. They are showing care for the church. So, even as emotions might run high, (laughs) try not to get defensive. Really try to listen. Ask for clarification if needed, and thank them 
for coming to you and caring for you in this way. Along the path we're going to now stop at, (laughs) repentance. If it's clear that they are correct, repent and confess. To God first, the object of all of our sins, and then to the offended sister or family member in Christ. Again, look back on the seven A's of confession as a reminder, and don't miss this opportunity, even if it's hard. Take the time to search your heart through scripture, come before God in prayer, and really address what is being said. That's what we can do if we, it's clear that they are correct about our sin. But what if we're not sure that they are correct? Do the principles change? No. <laughs> Don't get defensive. Take the time to listen. Ask for clarification if needed. Thank them for coming to talking, and talking to you about this and caring for you in this way. And then ask for time to think and pray about what they are saying. This would be a great time to seek counsel with a husband or a close friend or small group leader. Again, don't miss this opportunity. Search your heart through scripture. Come before God in prayer. On the topic of not missing an opportunity to search your heart, even when you're being confronted with something that you're not sure is sin, C.J. Mahaney says this, don't be put off when a friend's observation may not be 100% accurate. I've found that there's truth to be gleaned at times, even from an enemy's critique. Humility doesn't demand mathematical precision from another's input. Humility postures itself to receive God's grace from any avenue possible. Again, that quote is from C.J. Mahaney. (laughs) So, if you've asked for time to step away when you're not sure that what they've seen is sin, be sure and follow up with them. It'd be time to seek forgiveness if needed. Either way, make sure to finish the conversation. And then our last step along the path, forgiveness should be given freely once you have asked for it. Throughout all this, we remember the aim. And praise God for people in your life who are seeking to glorify God through helping sanctify fellow believers as we strive together to grow and strengthen God's church. So we've looked at two really basic, bare-bones bone examples of what the path of peacemaking might look like when you are the offending sinner. Now let's look very carefully <laughs> at when someone else is the offending sinner. This, the first case is sort of an easy one. When they are the offending sinner and they realize they've sinned and they come to you seeking forgiveness. Praise God. <laughs> like I said, this one can be easy. We walk, it's the exact same thing. We walk the path of peacemaking. They we are believing the best seems like they have examined their hearts they've realized that their sin can move them off the aim of glorifying God through sanctified living building and growing the church it seems they are walking the path so continue to believe the best and trust that they have repented toward God as we should always do first then continuing on the path here they are seeking reconciliation with you even in this do not skip your own heart Now would be a good time to confess your own sin as well, if it contributed to the problem, and to ask them for forgiveness. That's what reconciliation is. And at that point, in the path of peacemaking, forgiveness should be freely given. I know we've talked quite a bit about, remember this is someone else has sinned and they are coming to you seeking forgiveness. I know we've talked quite a bit about the importance of striving to follow the seven A's of confession and the proper place and way to say, I'm sorry, as well as the need for asking for forgiveness. But remember, we need to be gracious toward others who come to you with the purpose of reconciling, yet may not hit every one of these points along the way. Be quick to see people's hearts and quick to forgive, even if they don't do everything by the letter. So our final of the four examples of the way the path of peacemaking may play out in real life, again, basic, Admitted, overly simplified. Our fourth one is when you need to tell someone that they have sinned, that they are, in this case, the offending sinner. Matthew 18, 15 is the first verse with the first step of um, church restoration. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> it's the same thing I've been saying. We're going to walk the path of peacemaking, and we're going to start with our heart. Whose heart? Your own heart. They're the offending sinner in this case. Mm-hmm. Let's start with our hearts. <laughs> we're going to tend to our heart first. We're going to pray for that person. We're going to pray about the situation. Take the time to acknowledge and confess your own sin and contribution to the problem, if applicable. Sometimes we are simply observers of other sin, others' sin, and we're not really actively involved. That does happen. However, more often than not, as we interact with another sinner, our sin can add fuel to the conflict's fire, making a difficult situation even worse. We need to always start with our own hearts and be prepared to confess our sin to God first and always, and then to the friend in conflict with no qualifiers, no ifs, buts, or maybes. And this may need to be done before you talk about anything else, namely before you talk about their sin. Two meetings might be necessary. Remember, our aim here is not to coerce an apology or to say, I'm sorry, but, or is there anything you'd like to say to me? (laughs) I know why you're giggling. I know why I'm giggling. Never said anything like that before. No, we remember our sin is our sin alone and must be repented of and sought forgiveness for. If, after you have confessed your contribution to the problem, if there is still a repeated, unconfessed sin in the other person's life, then a second conversation could happen at another time. So we're still on shepherding our own hearts at this point and throughout. Check your motives. Always be checking your aim. What are you striving for as you consider whether or not you need to talk to a fellow believer about their sin? Are you most concerned about glorifying God? Are you most concerned about caring for their hearts, for the hearts involved? Are you concerned about care for the church? Or is there a chance that you're concerned with expressing your hurts and your desires? Again, be checking your aim and your motive. So after we've carefully shepherded our own heart, we can begin to tend to their heart next. There's a few questions we can ask when we see sin. A few questions that are a good start to caring for the offender's heart. Ask yourself these questions. Can I overlook sin? Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So yes, we should overlook sin often. We are sinned against often, and we, I think we do this often without even realizing it. We let, we let little, we should let little things go. You're not to be the sin police. Remember, overlooking sin is not a new buzzword for laziness or lack of shepherding. It's never an excuse for ignoring sin, is it? But we should be striving to overlook sins. If you feel like maybe you cannot overlook this sin, the next question you might want to ask yourself is, can I forgive this sin? without a face-to-face conversation. We can and should seek to purposefully give offending sinners from our heart. This would be a good example of something just out of the ordinary happened in someone's life. The meekest person you know has just this moment of complaining or says something harsh towards you. Accept it for what it is. Maybe keep your eye out for a repeating pattern. Something that you need to forgive and hopefully overlook. Another question you can ask yourself to care for your hearts is to ask, is it appropriate for me to go and talk to them about their sin? Some examples of times that it would not be appropriate to confront someone else would be confronting someone else's husband, really any man at church. Um, Most likely likely I would say bypassing the parents and talking to a child about a sin issue would be an example of an inappropriate way of addressing sin. Um, these are a few of several examples of times it would be not be appropriate to confront someone on their sin. Defer to your husband or someone in church leadership if you see something concerning that is out of your circle of immediate family or women friends, just to be on the safe side. So if we're continuing to care for their heart, we've considered the idea of overlooking their sin, we've sought to forgive them from the heart, we've decided that maybe it is appropriate that I go and talk to them, Begin to ask yourself, in care for their heart, when should I go? 
Overlooking sin and forgiving someone from the heart are things we should be doing often. It is caring and loving for their heart. It is also a great check and balance against blasting people around you for every little sin. But if you're starting to see a repeating pattern of sin in their life, an unrepentant sin in an unbelief in someone's life, sorry, in a believer's life, or if their sin is starting to damage your relationship, or if their sin is hurting themselves or others, moving quickly in that case, if you cannot overlook or easily forgive the sin and it is appropriate, you will most likely need to go and talk to them. Remember the aim throughout all of this. Again, check your motives. Always be checking your own heart. What are you most concerned about? Glorifying God? Caring for their heart? Caring for their church? Are you concerning yourself with something else? Check your aim. And upon that, upon caring for, all the, for your heart and their heart, we're going to walk the path. We'll start again with repentance. If you've searched your heart and confessed your sin and contribution to the problem, remember their repentance is your goal. We want them to have a right relationship with God. We want them to have a changed life as a result of heart change, not just for someone to see your own way or to hear what you have to say. That is not our goal. So once we've addressed repentance, we go and seek reconciliation. As it says in Matthew 18, go and win your brother. Go. We are commanded to go. And everyone loves this part, right? <laughs> this is the this is the fun time. There's no no heartburn going into a conversation like this, right? No. But let's not take this up make an opportunity for excuses because I've heard them all before <laughs> and I've said them all before. What are some excuses we might use to not go and talk to an offending beloved sister or family member in Christ? You might say, oh, I don't, I don't like conflict. It's really none of my business. That's between them and God or them and the family member. You might say, oh, this is just going to be so embarrassing. This is going to be so awkward. Let's look a little more carefully about the heart behind those. Remember, conflict is not the goal. Obedience, help, love, care is the goal. And ladies, may I propose that if you are unable to overlook this sin, if you're unable to forgive quickly, if this is someone you know you're called to care for and you're refusing to talk to them, you might just love conflict. <laughs> Walk carefully in that. You might say, it's none of my business. I'm sorry, but it is your business. More than that, it is your duty to care for one another's hearts and help purify Christ's church. Galatians 6.1 says, Brother, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You might say, oh, this conversation will be so awkward, so embarrassing for them or embarrassing for me. You're concerned about an embarrassing or awkward situation? Consider instead the precarious situation that they are in. We are called to rescue a sister in Christ from the dangers of the sin that they are walking in. And I understand that this is not easy. You are right, it's not. It shouldn't be easy. It should be difficult. Because sin is sad. And sin is scary. And there's much more at stake here than just an awkward interaction between friends. We must move forward with this in humility, with caution, and with gentleness. So in Matthew 18, the end of the verse on church restoration says, Go talked about what it means to go, go, and win your brother. I can't help but think of the parable of the lost sheep when I read that phrase. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I will tell you he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. You'll notice I didn't give a reference for that verse. Do you know where it's found? Directly before the verse about going and winning your brother who is in sin. And that is the attitude that we need to carry into this event. We need to seek the offending brother with our whole heart, as Christ did, with humility and gentleness. Remember, a repentant sinner is our prize. Go and win your brother.
Our last step, so to speak, is to forgive, <clears throat> both in prayer. Pray before God that you can forgive them from the heart so that you are ready to forgive when they seek forgiveness before you go, even before you go and talk to them. And forgive freely upon their asking for forgiveness. Now remember to be gracious. Remember that this is hard for them, just as it was hard for you. Very hard. <laughs> and it may be hard for them to hear. Just as you might ask for time if someone comes to you with an issue that you're not sure about, give them a chance to think, read, and pray about it as well. Again, care for a sister in Christ the way you would want to be cared for, the way Christ cares for us with humility and gentleness. So <laughs> that's how the path of peacemaking might play itself out in four very basic scenarios. Again, this is not a formula with twists, turns, and surprises expected along, or to be expected along the way. Remember, we're dealing with at least two sinful hearts, <laughs> and there are many pit pitfalls we might want to try to avoid along the way. Ladies, just as a reminder, these are simplified examples of how we can pursue peacemaking. But peacemaking is not simple. In fact, Matthew 18 makes it clear that situations can often move past step one if we talk to a family member or sister in Christ about their sin and you just can't see eye to eye. If someone won't repent or someone won't forgive. If a conflict begins to drag on, do not go out alone. Please seek counsel. Seek help. Talk to your husband and ask him to pray about it and to be a second set of eyes in helping you check your heart. Talk to church leadership, not to tattle, but for guidance. In this case, taking, carefully stepping out in that. Tom and Ann Angstead have walked with countless people through this process, and they are a great source of help here at Grace Bible Church. Of course, we don't want to gossip. You can share a lot about the situation and gain a lot of wisdom without gossiping by not sharing in specific details. Again, these are principles to help us shepherd our heart toward obedience and keeping peace. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, as it says in Romans 14, 19. Thank you again to the Wellspring leaders for letting me teach this lesson. Thanks to all the people who helped me along the way. And thank you, ladies, for having me. Studying this has been, I'm sure you can imagine, a very sanctifying experience. If our goal in peacemaking is to care for our hearts, care for hearts starting with our own, then God has definitely used this process with me through studying the lesson. In other words, please don't think that I have this wired. As someone who has walked this path many times from all angles, please believe me when I say that God's way, however difficult, is the best way. And there's one more matter that we need to attend to before we close our Wellspring lesson on peacemaking, the disciplines. Please turn over your notebooks. And I will read. <clears throat> the purpose of Wellspring is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. So let's look more closely at the disciplines. Discipline one, the heart. She prayerfully shepherds her, shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. Our hearts and our indwelling sin are the source of conflict, as we noted already in James 4.1. But God does not leave us hopeless or helpless. The well-shepherded heart is also the source of preventing conflict. A better understanding of our hearts leads to a better understanding of God's word, which leads to a better understanding of our hearts. So we know the first steps of pursuing peace are found in our heart. Lady, ladies, know yourself. By God's word, be reading and checking yourself and your heart daily. As mentioned earlier, be honest with yourself. You are a sinner, saved by grace. So keep your eyes open for what is crouching at the door. Along with diligently and consistently checking your heart, be diligent in checking your goal, glorifying God through saved and sanctified lives, building and growing his church, and watch your aim, just in case sin or conflict threaten to throw you off of that aim. Our next discipline is the home. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. 
With sinful people interacting daily, the home is the start, starting point of much conflict. But the principles remain the same. We must purposefully pursue peace between believers and their God. Start with our heart, walk the path, pursue that aim. Do not pursue being right. <laughs> Do not pursue an airing of grievances. You can openly invite biblical correction from other believers in your home. And what about unbelievers? The principles are the same, and I think our unbelieving children are a perfect example of the motive, the aim of peacekeeping in our homes. Be the example of peacemaking that they need. Use biblical language. Teach them that it is God, through his word, who determines what sin is, what it looks like, the potential consequences of our sin, and the one true solution to our sin. Seek forgiveness when you are wrong. We are not perfect, are we, ladies? We are sinners, saved by grace, still tainted by that sin and a tendency towards it. Every time we sin, and every time we seek to biblically pursue peace, we have an amazing opportunity to point those unbelievers toward the gospel. We need Jesus, and the unbelieving members of our household need Jesus, desperately. Take the opportunity to show them again and again how much we all need Christ. And in turn, we can be good examples and teach our children what it means to confess and to forgive. Third discipline is ministry. With a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. Remember our aim and work together towards the greatest goal. Let's care for one another, our fellow forgiven sinners, in the way that we would like to be cared for, biblically, humbly, and with love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your principle, your plan of peacemaking. God, you have not left us alone ever, not from the moment of salvation through our through our dying breath, God, you have given us everything we need for godliness within your word. And I thank you especially for helping us through the principles of peacemaking in the face of sin and conflict. God, you care for us with your word. You care for our hearts. You care for your body. You care for your church. And you care about the example and the light that we can be in this world. God, help us strive for peace between believers. God, don't let what you have already conquered come between two believers. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.